Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Chelsea Chelsea podcast. It's me, Andy Saunders. I'm in charge tonight. Kerry's not here, but joining me, two stalwarts of the podcast, people that have been here many, many times before. Uh, opposite me, I have uh, Mr. Rick Glanville, official Chelsea historian. How are you doing, Rick? Evening, Squire. I'm good. And we have ESPN's uh, Liam Toomey. How are you, Liam? I'm very good. It's a, it's actually a pleasure to be on this with Rick because um, oh well we know I, each other very well. I see him at away games all the yeah. time. We talk all the time. Um, but okay. yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever done a pod with you. So no, we've never nice. worked together. Have you never? Should <laughs> really? we hold hands? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, you were in Frankfurt, is that right, Liam? Yes. I were was. you there, Rick? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't there either. So you're going to have to tell us all about it because we've got two games to uh, uh, review. Uh, this week and two to preview. So let's get straight into it because I think we've got quite That's a lot. That's a lot, Andy. Four games. <laughs> I know. It's it's huge. Um, you know, we should be already be on the beach, right? So <laughs> it's like it's that time of the season. We shouldn't be made to work. Um, let's get straight into it because there's loads to talk about. We're going to talk about firstly the uh, Eintracht Frankfurt semi-final first leg over in Frankfurt, which as we said, you went. And one of my first impressions of it was what an impressive crowd. Uh, it was an amazing atmosphere. Um, and as I said to you a minute ago, yeah, probably the best club atmosphere I've ever seen. What was that down to? Um, just, I think, that the the organisation of the noise that was coming from all areas of the stadium. I mean, Great flag. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, there was one end of the... Um, I think that before it became the Commerce Bank Arena, it was the Vald Stadium, which was, is that's right. Forest Stadium. And it's very apt because... Right. Um, Ollie Harbord of Football.London took a picture of it from his plane as he was coming in. It's right by the airport, but it literally is in the middle of the woods. Right. And when you come out of the station, it feels like you're walking through a festival. Is it made of gingerbread? <laughs> <laughs> it does. Lots it, of people in red hoods. It, it, has a real, it had a real festival feel to it the whole, right. the whole day. You're walking through the, the, this path. There's like just a guy on an electric guitar. There's... There's like um, sausage stands yeah. on either side yeah. of the road. Scorpions and there's yeah. German beer tents, and then you get to the stadium, and the ultras had all set up at one end. Um, and we there was a funny sight pre-kickoff of them taking out the temporary seats that had been put oh, yes, in that, to comply yeah. with the UEFA regulations. They were just passing them down to the front of the giant <laughs> stands; they could all stand anyway. Um, and then the big banner came down from the top it was incredible threatening or or welcoming or just intimidating i think think intimidating but not necessarily in a a threat of violence way it was just you're 
you know, you're, you're on our turf. This is not going to be easy for you. And I think they, the whistling, I was hearing the whistling all night. What's the other one? There was three, wasn't there? Our City, our Stadium, our Cup. Yeah. It might still be their Cup, but... Chelsea are in a good position now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and yes, yeah, so so that was impressive on telly. I don't think this is something we could replicate over in the UK because we don't do forced fun, do we? Don't do <laughs> prescribed supporting. And there is people on stages with microphones, you know, sort of uh, uh, conducting the crowd. We would never go for that, would we, in the UK? Do you think, Rick? Well, I think particularly Chelsea fans are not like that. We we're, just want to moan about Sarri and Georgina, don't we, really? That's, that's kind of what we want to do in the stands. We're not that kind of group. We don't have that kind of herd. I don't know. That's wrong to call it a herd mentality. We don't have that kind of sense of cooperation, I don't, don't think, as a fan base. I think you can, you can do it, but I remember we've had some quite desultory efforts to do it. The best you can get out of Chelsea fans, really, is to get the old plastic flags out. <laughs> yeah. And get, and that, well, there that were plastic flags as well. At the, yeah. I agree, yeah. <laughs> but it works. It is impressive. Mm. You know, yeah. you, can, you can slag it off, but when you wait for youth and Sky and BT Sport and everyone use their... Uh, uh, for, for their highlight reels, they use that because it is Im- impressive. It doesn't create noise, obviously, and I mm. think that's another aspect of the stadium. I think it, the one, it sounded like at Frankfurt that it projected a lot of sound down onto it the kept pitch. kept everything in. 48,000 capacity. In. So, you know, I mean, not that much bigger than Stamford Bridge. I no. mean, it, it was, but it felt like a really sort of hot atmosphere. It felt like a cauldron, and yeah. particularly when from where the press box was we were right at the top of one of the stands and looking over to your left seeing 1,000 Chelsea fans who couldn't have looked smaller in the general <laughs> context of things and even if they'd wanted to you know get on the team's back or or, or you know cheer in support or anything couldn't then you couldn't be heard I mean there was a, the, the quietest it ever got was when Pedro scored but that was mm. maximum five seconds of a little bit of stunned stunned reaction from the home fans and then they were immediately jumping around and, and chanting again so it was noise from the first minute to last and in, even at the end at the end of a 1-1 draw in which well, I'm sure we'll talk about the game mm. they probably they could have easily lost mm. um, all the players went over in front of the ultras and no one left the stadium for about 20 a good 20 minutes afterwards and amazing I mean there, there are there is talk of them bringing several thousand with them on Thursday uh, you know well, they did that when asked when well that was Colm wasn't it FC yeah Cohn. I mean obviously it's a, a, a different club but yeah I remember, I, I, funny enough, when that happened, I was walking through Covent Garden that day and I was thinking, <laughs> you know, one of those things where you walking through London and you think, hold on, why are there five, oh, mm. you know, 5,000 Swedes or not Swedes, but Germans or yeah. whatever. And, you know, you, you think, oh, God, of course they're playing there. And a similar context as well, because that was probably their biggest European game for about 30 odd years. And this will be Frankfurt's since 1980. So I think Chelsea fans, if you're going to the bridge on Thursday, I think you can expect there to be lots of Frankfurt fans around you, segregation or not, because they'll find a way to get in. I remember, I think the closest was the Napoli game where, where I was sitting. There was just Napoli fans everywhere. I mean, once they scored, they scored the first goal. They were just everywhere. And it's, I, I think you sometimes you've just got to shrug your shoulders and go, nothing yeah. we can do about it. You can get upset about it and you know, get, get angry with the stewards and tell them to kick him out. But I reckon there's going to be thousands of them. So. I don't know. I think, um, I think that because uh, I think now that it's semi-final, I think it'll make a big difference. I think you'll find that a lot of our supporters will have snapped up their tickets rather than 
sit back and wait and then I'm lose seeing out. a few I have to say I'm seeing a bit on the social media people wanting tickets people trying to get tickets I haven't seen that I think for a while. it's a sellout all the, yeah. the, yeah. the regular tickets which is great VIP tickets left. you know yeah. and the thing is we have had some big great support nights you know there's Liverpool games the Napoli game the Benfica game I mean those those are memorable nights Vicenza. and even Vicenza and, and, and even this season the Spurs midweek game was a great mm. support and we are mm. capable of great support in that stadium and, and maybe the Frankfurt fans will ignite that but you know we are te- we tend to be reactive to the team mm. you know if the team play well the support mm. will wake up and it'll be great but it was pretty good when you remember when we drew 1-1 at Liverpool in the semi-final and then came back well that's what here. I'm saying that Liverpool that game was, was, was just that I mean but that we didn't need the the team to get us going for that no and they started quite kind of tentative but um that's Liverpool that's the that, that's <laughs> yes. the uh, but that's the that was the Frank Lampard yeah. you know um, yeah. oh, pointing you know penalty game, one of my all-time favorite nights me for, too me too I think that's one of my whole emotion oh my god you know it was ama- an amazing game and that and I think that and the Barcelona home game where mm. we beat Barcelona I think mm. are my favorite games at the bridge and again mm. both brilliant atmospheres and like, we are capable of it as a fan base I just think that you know we could learn a lesson from some of these clubs about how to support your team properly mm. support your mm. team not react to them playing well actually get behind them from minute one and do that now I know there are huge cultural differences between Holland and Germany and some of those continental teams and the way they go about it mm. I'm absolutely aware of that but it's no excuse for us not to on big nights like this mm. and you can sneer about the Europa League whatever you want but it's still a major night it, we can you know we need to we need to rise to the occasion as fans do you, is it, it's interesting though. We uh, obviously, uh, as supporters, we have to feel that we can affect the team's performance. Yeah. Did that, did they affect Frankfurt's performance? The fans? I'm not sure. I think in, if anything, uh, they kind of drove them to give more of themselves in the first 20 minutes because they came out the blocks mm. really powerfully, and then. Run I thought they just hit the wall. They, I think just, they, uh, they were looked knackered yeah, they, in they the second half. Steam, well, definitely. it seemed like they gave them a lift at the start of the game yeah. and then the final 10 minutes as yes. well. Yeah, I agree but with that. Everywhere in between, Chelsea controlled and I thought they, they rebounded really well to a bad start. Let's have a look at the team. Um, Hazard left on the bench. That was the, the big news Surprise. from the night. He'd, have, he'd played 10 matches in a row before that. Uh, that was Sarri's excuse. That's what I'm just saying what Sarri said. But um, he was on the bench, so we had uh, Keppering goal, uh, Dave Christensen, Luis and Emerson as a back four, Kante, Jorginho and Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the middle with uh, Giroud up front flanked by Pedro and William. Um, yeah, what did you think about the, the Hazard thing? Were you disappointed? I was slightly surprised given how few matches there are remaining in this season mm. but I can understand the rationale and as I always say in these matters, they work with them on a daily basis in the training ground, they see they you know they have all the metrics that they look at and uh, look at their energy levels and things like that. So maybe they just thought that he looked a little bit fatigued and would rest him for the home leg and the weekend game. I wonder if what happened with Rudiger maybe influenced um, yeah, the point. Hazard decision because of, Hazard wasn't injured, but. No. Rudiger had a knee injury that mm. he picked up against Liverpool. Mm. They then rushed him back for that United game. Yeah. Well, we'll come and, on and we'll talk about Kante and, and yeah, what happened to him. Exactly. At the weekend, and, you know? and Sarri subsequently, you know, mm. saying he made made mistakes, but he's clearly very mindful about the management of players in what Wenger always yeah, called the yeah. red zone. And yeah. uh, and I think with Hazard, it was just he has shown at, at times, not just this season, but under previous coaches, that when he when he's fatigued, he can just 
drift through games and, and not quite affect them as much, doesn't he? So yeah. it, it was a risk, certainly a risk. Especially, and when Chelsea went 1-0 down, it looked like a big risk. But I think the, the starting eleven really vindicated the decision. Um, one player that I wanted to, you know, to have a little bit of a chat about is uh, Andreas Christensen, mm. who's getting a few more games now, obviously, because Tony Rudiger's injured. Um, he was very lucky, wasn't he? At the early doors when he went sliding in and, and got a yellow card. I mean, that probably wasn't a red, but then there was another incident not so long afterwards on the halfway line where he could have you know, really got himself into trouble. Is Christensen the, turning out to be the player that we hoped he would be? I think he's on a trajectory. Do you think he's, on, he's still, still on an upward, very, upward trajectory? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you? Okay. I think he's very calm. And, uh, I thought he played well at the weekend. Yeah, uh, I thought he played well in Frankfurt a lot of times. In fact, I think the, a bigger problem in terms of level-headedness was the man playing alongside him, frankly. Mm, mm. Um, he had one of those games, didn't he? PlayStation game. He did. It was... Um, uh, so... And don't Although we did it at the these bar with an amazing free kick. No, no absolutely. Well, <laughs> chipped onto the bar. A great yeah, save by yeah. Kevin Trapp, yeah. the old PSG keeper, yeah. who did for us in 2016. <laughs> but don't forget, I, I, you can never look at centre-backs in isolation. You have to look at the player that's alongside them. And we have we found, you know, not just... Christensen and will he develop but have we found a partnership that is going to work or have we found a pairing that is going to work and I still have my doubts about that well I I think Christensen's had a difficult season I mean the way last year ended even though he 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 kind of lost his place again towards in the final weeks um, he he made a big big step forward and he was playing the amount of first team football he was expecting to play at Chelsea and then this year the shift from three centre-backs to two he was the one who paid the price for that. Um, and he's had to sit out a lot. And I think it's not just... The, the chemistry thing is a very valid point. I think it's also rhythm. He's just lacking a little bit of rhythm and a little bit of confidence. Do you think he's better in a three? I think a lot of centre-backs might be better in a three yeah. just because you've got more cover. Okay. I mean, Louise looked amazing at the middle of a three. And that's the other aspect to this. When you talk about partnerships... Christensen and Louise were the two centre-backs who played the least together last year because one replaced the other in the same position. Absolutely. So I think Christensen, when he's played alongside Rudiger this year, looks pretty good. Mm. And I think we've seen maybe in the last couple of weeks how important Rudiger is because he's the least replaceable of Chelsea's defenders. Would you go with Christensen Louise or would you go with Rudiger Louise if you were given a choice? Um... I'd go with Rudiger Christensen myself. Would you? Yeah. From next season, certainly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think I, think I, w- I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of great things that David Luiz contributes, but I think, um, I think Christensen has passing ability as well. That's something I, I thought was really impressive in Frankfurt, that he was, he was playing a lot of through passes, like 20, 30 yards, to good effects because that was our t- strategy on the night we we realised they were going to press us high so if you think back we weren't playing it out from the back at all we were playing it forward and when the when the centre backs had possession they were playing it through midfield I think Sari probably thought that they were going to do a job on Jorginho I know they said beforehand they were going to double up on Hazard, but I thought that might have been a bit of a decoy and that actually what they were going to do was plant someone on Jorginho, as teams have done successfully this season. And therefore our strategy was bypass the midfield, knock it up to their, to be honest, not great centre-backs, and then buzz around and cause them problems. 
We went one nil down. Jovic looks like what a player. A player he, he? he does he look looks good. Like a player, one he? chance, one goal. Yeah. It was a really, really clinical header as well. Because you look at it the first time around, you think. He's not put an awful lot of power no, on that. You think brilliant. initially maybe Kepa could do better, but it is perfectly yeah, placed in the corner. I've watched it a few times, and I thought, first time I watched it, I thought, a bit lucky. You know, he's, he's, he's put it goalwards, you know, and he's done the best he could in that situation. But the more you watch it, the more he you realise he it. means that. He totally means it. But him and Kostic, who supplied the cross, they've um, combined together more than anyone in Europe this season. It's a, it's a really, it's something you have to look at. It's a potent combination. Yeah. They got De Costa on the, on the right hand side. It was causing problems as well. I, I, I thought he was. I didn't think he was very good. He looked busy and he had a lot of the ball, but he didn't do much with it. Yeah, he had a couple of moments where he could have delivered better, but he was yeah. getting himself into, into yeah. interesting positions. And you think on his day, he could probably be a threat. Well, is, is what I was thinking. It looked it's, an interesting battle between him, him and was it Emerson, yeah. Emerson, Emerson on the night wasn't yeah. it because both of them looked way more comfortable going forward yeah, than exactly. defending each I'm other I'm going to take you on no you're going to take me on it was one of those isn't it you can push the other one further back <laughs> something I've noticed over recent games is, is this kind of vulnerability at the back post that we have which is more often than not teams are overloading at the back post and they're up against Dave or they're up against Emerson it happened a couple of times in both games actually against Watford and Frankfurt and it's like you just think if that ball gets to that man, exactly. we're dead. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's a deliberate ploy by Sarri to think that we can, we can reach him, it's fine, let him have the ball there and you know, let them gamble on the long ball. But it always looks incredibly vulnerable to me. I, I, am I the only one thinking this or are we thinking, are we thinking that collectively? Well, I've, I've seen it a lot this season that I don't, I'm not entirely sure whether this is systemic and a tactical instruction or whether it's just the legacy of Azpilicueta playing as a centre-back for as long as he did under Conte that whenever the ball goes wide on the opposite flank, he seems to get drawn so yeah, central to his yeah. other... He, he has the narrow. instinctive reaction yeah. of a centre-back, not wide, of a full-back. Yeah. And, and it means the person at the back post is... I mean, you saw at the goal, the first goal Liverpool scored in the game. Yeah. Chelsea lost 2-0 up there. Um, Henderson floats the cross to the back post and Mane is completely unmarked mm. because as Piliqueta's drifted in, to, to mark players that are already marked. And there was a couple of times, I thought, particularly in the Frankfurt game, where first 20 minutes, they, they looked really strong, as we've already mentioned, where they, were, where they put us on the back foot and had a couple of set pieces. And it was almost like Emerson didn't know he was there. It's like, come on, you're a professional fullback. You know that you're going to have a man coming down the back. And yet they seen this bewilderment and arms out of like, where did he come from? It's like, he's obviously going to be there. Dave, Dave's guilty of it as well. The old trick against us was always to pull the ball back, wasn't it? You know, you get to the byline, pull it back, and there'd be a man free. Free on, the, line. free on the man yeah, on the penalty exactly. spot. We seem to have dealt with that now. But teams don't do that. But the back well, post say, thing is an issue. You, know? you say that, but we've now lost N'Golo Kante, who yeah. is one of those who is looking for that cutback, yeah. and he puts his foot in and blocks. It's going to be an issue for us. I think it is, especially against Leicester. With you know, I don't. Well, Leicester. He's irrelevant, really, unless, unless you want to argue about £5 million or something No, like I want that, to argue but... about winning games. You know, that, that's yeah. the only thing I would say. Is I want, I'm, I'm a bit like you. We've had this conversation before. Every time I watch Chelsea, I want them to win. Yeah. You know? I mean, whether they're on the beach or not. So I think in a game like Leicester, where you've got players like Vardy who are fox in the box, you know, that, that's an issue. That's the only reason mm. I'm mentioning it. Well, and that's mm. the James Madison position as well. That's what I was going to say. And he's had a fantastic season, Madison. Yeah. Can we just have a little shout-out for Vincent Company's goal? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we're on the subject of Leicester. I know we shouldn't be talking about other teams, but you know, I am I am in the anyone but Liverpool camp. But, Certainly stayed you know, hit, didn't it? it? Just well, was the only thing I'll say else. about that goal is it felt funny to me that the moment that might have sealed City's title defence was a goal that goes completely against everything Guardiola's yeah, football stands exactly. for. Just the ultimate low percentage <laughs> player, defender smashing it from 30 yeah. yards. The first, the, shot, the first shot he's had on target from outside the penalty box since 2013. Yeah. Mm, amazing. <laughs> Didn't they all, they were all saying, we were saying, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't yeah, shoot. Yeah, it was funny. Shot, sh- you shot, brilliant, yeah, well yeah. done. They're probably yeah. saying that to Rudiger at Old Trafford as well, to be fair. <laughs> exactly. There is a, a great clip that's worth, if you haven't seen it, you know, you're, you're bound to have seen it on Twitter, of some people going off oh, to, the going to the toilet. Just, yeah. to, just at that. <laughs> missing, missing one of the greatest goals in the club's history. Absolutely. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. So Chelsea unbeaten in their last 16 Europa League games, a record in the competition uh, since it was rebranded in 2009-10. Um, and, uh, Great goal, also, by the way. We haven't even talked about that. Well, I'm going to get to that. Okay. I'm going to get to that. Uh, Chelsea scored the most goals, mm. 31, and had the most shots, 217, in the Europa League this season. And one of those, that's my segue, you see, <laughs> one of those goals oh, see, uh, was I Pedro. Was just thrown together. <laughs> was, uh, was Pedro in the 45th minute, just before half-time. Uh, coming from a set piece, which is interesting because I think Our we've actually seventh been... corner of the match. Well, seventh corner of the match, but I don't think we've been brilliant from set pieces we this haven't. year. We've and been so, awful. And then you look at two goals at the weekend against Watford from set pieces. Exactly. Suddenly we're scoring from set pieces. Absolutely, something has clicked. Um, lovely goal, I thought by Pedro. You know, nice, nice work by Ruben Loftus Cheek to, to get the ball to him. But you know, he... let's, talk, let's stop calling Ruben Loftus Cheek a monster like lots of people are. Let's talk about his skill. Uh, his prowess on the ball because that is it, it's the combination of his physicality it's a combination. He is a and beast. his skill no he's, but no but he's skillful he's like Rude Hullet I, th- I really think he is our our Rude Hullet he's got that the the combination of intelligence, physicality, and skill, deftness on his feet. I was saying he must be wearing mm. slippers, like on you know some of the touches he makes when he's in that transitional play, where no one in our team does that. Well, what yeah. do you think of the Lewis and Balak? <laughs> nickname that, uh, that has been bandied around with Loftus Cheek. I, I mean, I think he's a better dribbler, but in a lot he's got of more other pace aspects, than Balak. Yeah, he, he has. He doesn't have the arrogance of Balak. Mm. So there's a trade-off there. But he moves around the pitch in a slightly similar. similar he kind way. of drifts. Yes, he's got so I, much, I know what you mean. He sort of glides, but he's got. He's because yeah. he's so big. He's got such presence about him. Yeah. One of the first names on the team sheet next season. If he stays fit, definitely. He's, he's always been a player who. His his talent because he's got the combination of the physical characteristics with his technical char- characteristics. I remember talking to people when he was sixteen, watching Chelsea youth games and scouts and you know mm. p- academy people saying to me, "What on earth could this guy be?" And this was yeah. in a team that had a ton of other yeah. really talented young players that we're seeing now playing senior football. One of the guys that sits, just stood out. sits next to me uh, in my seat in the West End Lower is Alf, who's a Chelsea scout. He yeah. discovered. Ruben Loftus Cheek mm. and brought him to the club, and you know he's out in his oh God. He must be in his seventies now. You know he's one of these old school mm. flat cat, mm. you know, sort of park pitch scouts. Yeah, and he discovered Ruben. I remember him telling me when Ruben was very young, "This mm. kid, this kid, watch mm. this kid." You mm. know, and you know, and and we've kind of followed his career together, and I think he's bursting with pride now that he looks like the football. Because one of the big problems that we always had with with Ruben was where's he play. 
What's his position? Is he attacking midfield player? Is he a holding midfield? What is he? Mm. And I think he's now found that role, with, certainly within Sarri's team, mm. where, you know, where it seems to work really well. I thought he was fabulous, you know, mm. um, particularly at the weekend. You know, but you know, in, 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 in recent games that he's played, I've not seen him pull together in 90 minutes yet. He's, he's been a one-half player so far where you know, he's been a little bit... I don't think you can in the modern game. Well, maybe not. I don't think even the best players... Well, Ingoli can Ingoli can say can. Maybe I am not even sure about no, I mean, no. much as I love Angolo. I, I don't I, think you can say that he, he doesn't put in anything. No, worse than, there are times when I'm thinking oh, he's got to close that man down. I I don't know whether in the modern game with the pace of it, and I don't know whether people can sustain a performance over an entire ninety minutes. No, I know what I you're saying. You have to take I, a breather. I, I, I think there's that, but I think there are moments when you can affect the game in both halves, yeah. and, I, and I think that Ruben has obviously affected the game in either half he's good defensively you know? as well that's the other thing he is and when you've got a six foot what is he six foot two and a half six foot three something yeah. like that when you've got someone that can stand in a box and just head everything away like we have had for i mean frank lampard did that for god for a decade didn't he for mm. us it just it just eases the pressure as well so he's making contributions all over the pitch potentially yeah. I, 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 well, I'm, I'm very very excited about him well and I think what's what's changed and why he's you know why he played so much at Palace last year why he's played more this season um, I mean clearly he was held back a little bit in terms he needed more senior football than he than he got from 18 to 21 but it's the the tactical understanding Definitely. Particularly when you're looking defensively and the knowledge of what do I do and where do I go when yeah. I don't have the ball. And that's not a Loftus-Cheek thing, that's a young player thing. Yeah. You very, very yeah. rarely see players come out of academies with the, the right instincts, all the right instincts for what to do tactically True. and to move without the ball. How much of credit should we be giving to Sarri for this? I think, I, honestly, I think he's done a good job with. with I think Loftus he has Cheek. as well. I don't I think, think we should be afraid to say that. And we? I think he would have played him more earlier had Loftus Cheek not suffered so much with the back issues around the turn of the year. He was already beginning to break into the team around December. Mm-hmm. Once Sarri, this is the thing with Italian managers: if they don't fully trust you tactically, you just won't no, get on the pitch. Absolutely right. But as soon as you do, they will lean on you, mm-hmm. and no matter how, what your age is, and. That was starting to happen in December and then he had the setback and that took mm-hmm. away about a month, a month and a half and now we're finally seeing, I think, maybe what Loftus-Cheek can become mm-hmm. to this team and, and he could be, you know, the heartbeat of the Chelsea midfield for a long, long time. Especially once you stop growing. I mean, this is the thing, you know, bones grow quicker than soft tissue and he's had all sorts of issues with that, with the fact that he's shot up mm-hmm. rapidly, that sometimes it affected his... Uh, he, he had muscle fatigue and he wouldn't last 90 minutes hopefully those we, he's coming to the end of that now and that well, cycle and you know he can start really building on that as I understand it I don't think the back issues will ever fully go away because I think he's got a curve in his back and there right. have been muscular complications from that mm. um, so it will be a case of him and the medical Management. staff at Chelsea managing that and it might be a case that he can't necessarily play 90 minutes three times in a week ever you know mm. we don't know but that might be the case he might prove to be you know, sort of a, a slightly milder version of the Ledley King of, of this generation of well, English players. Well, the way you describe but, it, you sounds like Richard III. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Ledley, Ledley King, what a career he had for Tottenham and how talented he was. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, I think um, he, if that's, the, if that's well, the worst... John Terry had big John back Terry issues. had to be stretched by... Aaron Lincoln would stretch him every game, wouldn't he, on yeah. his back? You remember? Well, I think also Billy Blood didn't have to go easy. and give him five massages a day, yeah. didn't he? I think, you know, to go around his house and give him massages. And if that's... 
you know, if that's what's required, that's then the you template, wanted enough. If that's the template, yeah. you can still see that the sky yeah. is pretty much the limit for mm. him. He went off after 81 minutes, and on came our old, reliable Kovacic. Um, has he has he proved himself to be a Chelsea player over the loan period that he's been here? Somebody we want to bring back next season? <laughs> what do you think, Liam? I think he's a nice player. Um, I don't think he's a particularly good fit. Uh, I, you know, I think he's a he's a player who's really, re- really, really good at a couple of things. He's got excellent technique in tight spaces, good instincts for using the ball well, not necessarily instincts for using the ball incisively to help his team going forward. And that's why he's a bad fit in a midfield where the other two guys are Jorginho and Kante. Yeah, I think that that you is need, an issue. Yeah. That's why Loftus Cheek has been his emergence has been so important in mm. the fi- final few months of this season because he's got the instinct and the the ability to drive through midfield and really attack the box. Kovacic has shown occasionally that he can do it, but he just doesn't seem to have the instincts for when consistently no, or, the, or the will to do it. He just too often goes sideways. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got a lot, if you've got the other major bases covered in your midfield in terms of goal threat, tackling um, and, and just sort of over, overall quality, then he can be a nice sort of fourth piece in like a diamond or something. So he'll probably fit better at Real Madrid or anywhere else he ends up. But I just yeah. think in this current Chelsea team, he, he's a nice player, but not, not a very good fit. And I think in the Premier League, a lot of the requirements of a midfielder are urgency because there's, it's so, there's so much cut and thrust in there. And I sometimes feel that he doesn't have that he doesn't spot the danger swiftly enough and there's not enough urgency in, he, in, in his play. But we are going to see a lot of him because if N'Golo... Kante's out, he's going to have to be very much involved for the foreseeable future. Where's Ethan Ampadu gone? He's, he's got Still, an injury, I believe. I think he's yeah. got a back injury, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. right, because he'd, he'd be a great Again, you know, another really, opportunity for him, wouldn't it? Another it's really poorly shame. timed back injury oh, when a, a young player is needed. Um, okay, so that's the Europa League. Um, obviously, we've got the second leg on Thursday. I mean, I personally felt that we probably should have come out of that game with a little bit more than we did, but we have an away goal. We're in a good position. Um, we'll come on and we'll do a prediction at the end. Away, but, you know, away goal, you know. Yeah. As long as away goals uh, have an influence on games, they're important. Okay. You know, you can... Uh, so let's not... Uh, underestimate that Let, let's sum up the game on Thursday when we come to it at, at the end of the show um, let's move on then to Sunday uh, Chelsea versus Watford um, which turned out to be a momentous game I don't think we saw we, I think we initially saw it as a kind of stepping stone towards uh, Champions League qualification but thanks to our you know good friends <laughs> yeah. in North London uh, it ended up being as a, a more important game than perhaps the sum of its parts we you know uh, saw four changes uh, from the game against Eintracht Frankfurt out went Emerson Ruben Loftus-Cheek Giroud and William in came Alonso Kovacic Iguain and Pedro to the starting lineup. Chelsea named a starting 11 with no English players for the 20th time in the Premier League this season. Only Arsenal in 2006-07 and 2007-08 have done so more in a single campaign. Does that matter in the modern game? Does it matter to Chelsea fans? Has anybody noticed that? Hashtag youth. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think people, were it not for the fact that uh, clearly uh, we are in a slightly different mode now where we more young English players are playing... Um, I think it would matter to people. It's about where we feel as a club we're heading, isn't it? Mm. And we feel like we're not heading towards the kind of uh, quote-unquote foreign mercenary uh, element and more 
uh, towards giving our young players a chance and the vast majority of those are English. Personally, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. It, it really, it doesn't, I don't, I don't feel any, any compunction about, as long as uh, there isn't a kind of any angle to it, that the manager is only picking his own nationality or something yeah. like that, I don't care. I think the bigger issue when you look at a team like that is just the number of players who don't necessarily have a stake in Chelsea's long-term future. I agree. There's so many of those players who are 28 and older and out of contract either this summer or next summer. So it's just the the broader uncertainty of what the team will look like next season and beyond. I mean, when it comes to, you know, Loftus-Cheek, we've talked about, or Hudson-Odoi, their absences were circumstantial. Yeah, Loftus-Cheek was rotated out, Hudson-Odoi's injured, otherwise he probably would have played some part in that game at least. Um, but it's just the broader issue of where the team's going, really. Well, talking about where the team's going, we did see the curtain dropping on you know one of our uh, long-serving, some would say legends, I think I would probably say legends, um, Gary Cahill, coming on for yep. one last time. Lovely fellow, uh, One Gary. last hurrah um, for a couple of minutes at the end of the game, got a, a rousing ovation. Seemed like a player that came in for a lot of stick off the Chelsea fans towards the end of his you know sort of regular playing career. Somebody always like, I always thought he was a big game player. You know, you can't argue with what he's won. He's won it all, as the crowd chanted. Um, I, I don't thought think... that was... I, I've got to say, I was looking at Gaza, Gaza Casa, as we call him, <laughs> when he was coming on and the, the whole crowd was chanting about, you know, he, he's won it all. And I was just thinking, what's going through his mind now? He must feel so proud. He must feel, my God, I've got to savour every moment of this. Because he has won it all. And how many players can say that in football? You know, he's up there with the greats in, the, in, the, in that regard. I mean, the fact that he played that Champions League final with him and Louise, both injured, <laughs> yes. both coming back with their hamstrings in suitcases. One and, a half, you know. one and a half working hamstrings between them. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And, you know, and the performance they both put in in that game, for me, that's a statue. Yeah. Well, that that's campaign, a statue right there. Chelsea <laughs> Bissinger alongside you or, you know, whatever, you know. Ryan Bertram in midfield, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, he, the slings and arrows of an outrageous fortune. He dealt with all of... Somebody said, somebody said, then if it was you, one of, one of the journalists said that he was one of the greatest penalty box defenders of the Premier League era. I can't remember, but I did, did see that. Did you see that? that? And I, I thought that's that very true. You yeah. know, but him and John Terry in the penalty box, last ditch, you know, in terms of being able to read a situation but in that last ditch situation. that's what we don't have now. That's what I was well, saying. Exactly. It's that urgency. Yeah. Mission critical. He had a mission critical mm. side to him. I mean, I for one salute Gary Cahill and, yeah. and put him down right up there amongst, you know, the, 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 you know, the top echelon of players that we've had. I really do. Well, what, how I've always defined Cahill is a good player who has had an absolutely fantastic career. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, not not, not clearly, not clearly in the in the top bracket in terms of you know the the very greatest players to have played for Chelsea, but a great club player who, like you say, showed up in all the big games, was was present and a big part of all the biggest days, basically, and never really caused too many problems. I I, I never understood why he got so much stick from a certain section of the fan base. Mm -hmm. It's funny, you can always tell a clear divide based on the criticism he gets on social media versus 
the crowd mm. on match days because I've never heard the crowd on match days really turn on Cahill. No, you you obviously you get that kind of uh, grumbling. Yeah, that grumbling. when a pass yeah, goes. Yeah, frustration at times. Yeah. And, yeah. But, the, but that's like, no it's hate. never gone beyond the ordinary stuff. I mean, yeah. even no. what Jorginho's experienced this year, there's never been anything like that with Cahill. But you no. know what, Liam? What a club we've become, actually, in the last 20 years that we can take a player, as you said, who's a good player, and we can make him great. We can bestow greatness on him because of the collective, because of the, uh, the power of the team and the, the, the fact that we get to finals and we win things like that. And I love that. Can you think of any other now. player that we've done that with? Well, uh, Real Morales, loads of people. You can take anyone. And Jose Basingwa, you know... I think John Obi Mikel was a great player, but the no. number of finals the guy has played in. I think there are loads because the collective, that was the, that was the, the thing. That if you look at the, the, the team really between, say, 2003 and probably 2012, 13, it was the collective that, that kept like this engine that kept driving us forward. Had Jose Basingua won a Champions League before he came to us with Porto under um, Mourinho? Am I, did I make I that up? I don't think so. I think uh, well, I might be wrong. I think Paulo Ferreira is technically a two-time Champions yeah. League winner. I think Basinga might be yeah. might be one. But right. I mean, he, he Basinga was not shy of reminding everyone that he won that Champions League. There was the story that he brought his his winner's medal to QPR training, <laughs> which is obviously great for morale. Brilliant. Brilliant. I bet someone nicked it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, a few, there's a few players that won Champions League. Uh, no, Daniel Sturridge, he got a Champions no, League. That's what I mean. And what I mean is there will be a lot of professional footballers who look back with such pleasure at their time at Chelsea, even though they, to fans, they weren't, uh, they weren't fans' favourites because they won things here. And I love that about our club. Just, um, you know, so, so well done, Gary. And, you know, thank you for your service. And we hope you go on and, and, and do great things somewhere else and enjoy the rest of your career. We've now qualified for the Champions League. If we beat Leicester on Sunday, we will what finish. What that was, though. Can I just say that's astonishing that Chelsea have qualified for the Champions League. <laughs> well, can we just talk about this? Can we talk, can we talk? And then we might finish third. Yeah. You know, they, can they, we just talk we about... Then they bothered, and then we qualified for the Champions. They're all bewildered. Yeah. Booth bothered, booed, bothered, bewildered. That's what. <laughs> that's, that's the name what of your new book. <laughs> I don't, I just, Let's crowdfund that, just baby. Laughing in the pub afterwards, we're all just laughing at the fact that watching Arsenal uh, fall apart and thinking, "My goodness, we've qualified for the Champions League." It was incredible. They, I mean, Chelsea have won one of their last four yeah. games in the Premier League. It's not exactly been a sprint finish, put it that way. And in, I mean, United—it's Keystone Cops behind Liverpool and, and Man City, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, these clown cars exploding all over the place behind them. I suppose the only the only bad thing that could happen um, this summer from a club pan- planning point of view is that the the hierarchy look at the table and not the way it happened <laughs> and think that everything is fine in terms of building this team for the next few years. Well, let's years. address that issue. We're in, the, we're in the final of the Europa League. We lost to Manchester City in the Carabao Cup final on penalties. We, we, we have a very, very good chance. It's in our hands of finishing third in the Premier League. By all accounts, that is a decent season for, for a manager. Sarri should be given another year, at least, to build a team. Problem we have is a transfer ban, potentially, if that doesn't get to over. I think over. top four is minimum for Chelsea. Yeah, but, you know, but those people that are... Uh, militantly sarry out you know I'm not 
militantly Sarri out. I'm a, you know, I'm a, not a massive fan of, of some of the football that we've played this year. I don't think it's been a particularly thrilling year on any level and very frustrating at times. But those that are militantly Sarri out, do you think they've overstated their case a little bit? Yeah, I think anyone that's militantly anything in football <laughs> is generally overstating their case. Um, it's, you know, you're looking at an entire season, so many things happen, especially in a season like this where they've played 60-plus games. I mean, Sarri has certainly made mistakes and, and not not managed certain players the right way, maybe got things wrong tactically at times and a bit been a bit slow to adjust. But it is also his first season in England on a completely new team, a, a club that has identified itself with pretty much the polar opposite style of football to what he plays um, for the previous 15 years. And I think that really goes to the heart of why a lot of people are annoyed because I, I do get the sense there's an element of the Chelsea fan base that don't even really want him to succeed because he doesn't play the type of football that they identify with. You mean the pro- pragmatic? I think muscular Chelsea, football. Chelsea, have, have, uh, we've been kind of half, or not half, uh, mostly roundhead, not cavalier, and it's difficult now. I think to look at it and uh, a more try and Chelsea don't want to be the philosophers. No, they don't want to be the ones with a certain an idea of football. You know, yeah. I think they want to be the ones that win. Yeah, and you yeah. can have your philosophies and you can have your high-minded ideals. Be much yeah. just a muscular and, midfield and win. And we'll beat. Yeah. We'll yeah. find a way to beat you and take the trophies home. And I think that a lot yeah. of. Chelsea fans really relished beating Pep Guardiola, Arsene Wenger, coaches like that, maybe more than any others. Take your journalistic head off. You know, you, I know you're a dynamo Chelsea fan as well, Liam. When, when you watch this and when you're making notes and you're thinking, you know, you're thinking about the piece you've got to write and all that kind of stuff. And have you enjoyed watching Chelsea this year? I think there have been <laughs> there have been times. There have the been first, ti- the, the first eight. 10 games in fact that's why we are where we are now because we had that amazing mm. run you know yeah. mm. first 18 no, absolutely yeah. and, and Sarri was the first to admit when, when that was all happening that, that we're winning on talent not by yeah. tactics yeah. and it was in large part because Hazard turned it on for, for mm. the la- first two three months of the season and it's probably not a coincidence that he's turned it on for the last month to six mm. weeks of the campaign Eden Hazard's and been Chelsea directly involved in 31 Premier League goals for Chelsea this season 16 goals 15 assists only Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank Frank Lampard and Didier Drogba have had a hand in more in a single campaign for Chelsea well, uh, Lampard and Drogba was in the same season in 2009, 2010. That's right. It's yeah. incredible, yeah. isn't it, really? It is. Oh, they yeah. scored an obscene amount of goals in that season. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think my answer would be I've enjoyed watching Hazard because I think a lot of... I don't think He's che- been sensational. I don't think Chelsea have really embraced Sarri's system in the final third. They haven't no. necessarily had time to even learn it because of the way last pre-season was. And I think also... Hazard, as much as he quite likes the way Sarri sees the game, he hasn't really played the system all year. Hazard's done what Hazard's wanted to do, uh, which is fine because Hazard doing Hazard things mm. has worked for Chelsea for but, a long but time. But Liam, I, I would say I, I can't see partnerships. And I always think that that's the thing with a good football team has partnerships all over the pitch. Mm. And that's what I can't see at the moment. And I, I'm hoping that that will, you know, whoever, whether it's still under... Maurizio or someone else that's what we've got to get back to because we had partnerships everywhere on the pitch for a, the best part of a decade when people came in they slotted and everyone you you could see this intuition happening we don't have that at the moment 
One thing that I have noticed that, that you know, I don't want to sort of just finish up on this really, is our ability to play out from the back, because that is a Sarri thing. That is something that is... A, and you've still got people going, get rid in the stands. But we very, very rarely put ourselves under pressure now. You know, it is very much a definable tactic. They do it really well. You watch other teams try and do it in the Premier League. They don't do it nearly as well as us. So I think you've got to say, in terms of the Sarri situation, playing out from the back, he has drilled that into them. And, you know, we are getting... I mean, Watford were quite good at kind of like penning us in but even then we were we were still able to do it and I think we've got to get rid we of that do it on Thursday though we've got to get rid of that get rid mentality yeah. you know in the stands mm. you know and trust it a little bit more and I think maybe as the season goes on I don't think Sarri's going anywhere I don't get the sense he's going anywhere and I think that as the season goes on next year I think maybe we'll see some of this other stuff starting to slot in as you say some of the final third stuff so a good win a 3-0 win you know an emphatic win you know, two, two assists two, yeah, so, yeah absolutely two set piece goals you know one after the other you know they didn't really look in any trouble um, it's a strong you know a, a strong statement to be making at this time of the season let's hope we can go to Leicester on Sunday and you know finish with a bang and finish third so let's just look forward to what we've got coming up in the next few days we've got Eintracht Frankfurt comfortable win or slightly tricky I don't I'm not certain it'll be comfortable because I think they had the chance to kill this tie in Germany for for about an hour they had the chances to score two or three away goals which would have made sure of this and either side of that I think Frankfurt did enough to suggest they can score at Stamford Bridge particularly with Jovic and they've got Ante Rebic back who was good for Croatia in the World Cup played on Sunday actually yeah where they lost 6-1 to <laughs> well, buy a and they were diabolical yeah they really were appalling. They lost 6-1. You know, I mean, that's not great preparation. No, get one of their top four rivals. Yeah. Mm. Bayer Leverkusen drew level with them. There are two more games to go. And, and Frankfurt got to play Bayern Munich, I think. I mean, the chances are... So it could all fall to bits. It, it could. And I do... I think they've hit the wall. It could have a I Jürgen Klopp moment. Hasebi, he's 35 years old. He's played... There's a lot of football uh, in his legs this season. We just have to, and Leverkusen really target. They played very direct against them and really targeted the, the back three. And that's something we have to do: is just really get that. Uh, we have to play with the intensity we played within the second half against Crystal Palace and at times in Frankfurt. And I don't think they'll be able to live with us. And they look but like they ran out they're of gas, dangerous. They? they are dangerous. And yeah. Jorginho has to wear the head bandage again. I think, I think he, <laughs> absolutely, almost without doubt, he has to. <laughs> So let me ask you, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. Rick, let's go with you first. What do you think? Um, I think they're going to score because I think Jovic is a really good player. I think we'll win 3-1. Okay. Yeah, I'm inclined to go in that sort of direction. I think it might be a little bit closer than that just because I don't think I don't trust Chelsea's ruthlessness. I think they'll create a lot of chances. Um, I'll probably go for 2-1. Yeah, I'm going to go with you, Liam. I think 2-1 as well. I think they'll score as well, but I think we probably have enough gas in the tank to you know to do it and I think the fans will rise to the occasion I think it's going to be a top top European yeah. night and Valencia are going to beat Arsenal let's hope so um, so we've got one Premier League game left on Sunday uh, obviously all the 3pm kickoffs on Sunday as everybody finishes the season 38th game um, Leicester proving not uh, quite a difficult place to go to now um, so can we finish the season with a bang Liam do we care are they going to be on the beach uh, Sarri might not even play his strongest team no, at that point I think he, he probably doesn't want to risk any more injuries if they do get to the Europa League final and they've still got this postseason friendly in Boston as well. Yeah. Um, Leicester are a really good team. Yeah, they are. <laughs> watched them against Arsenal, albeit Arsenal had 10 men, and then I watched that City game and they've, they've approached those two games like a big team. You know, they've, they've played with confidence expansively. They've got good footballers all over the pitch. 
Brendan Rodgers starting to make a difference He there? seems oh. to have made a very big, quick difference, but he's got the advantage of having a really good young squad. Yeah. Really good young squad. Does he still covet the Chelsea... Well, he's trying well, to. He's trying a, to build a. He's trying to build a career, not destroy one. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Very uh, good. So scoreline. Uh, I think Chelsea will probably uh, get a draw out of that one. Maybe one-one. One-one. Okay. I think uh, Rogers. He's new in the position. I think he might try and test a few players to see whether he wants them for next season. So there is that element. Okay. But I think. I don't think we'll put our heart and soul into it. So I think we'll either draw or lose that. Yeah, I'm going draw as well. I think it will be a high-scoring draw. Um, so I'm going to go two-two. Listen, guys, thanks so much for coming in uh, on this uh, lovely Tuesday evening. Uh, two, you know, interesting games to look forward to. Certainly yep. Thursday. Let's let's make sure we're all in good voice for that and show those, show those Germans what we can do as a fan base. Um, look forward to seeing you soon. Come on, to Chelsea. Always a pleasure. The Chelsea is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.